0: Scripture reading this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 through Hebrews 11, verse 16. Hear the word of our Lord. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith." By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, also, there was born of one man, and him as good as dead, as many descendants as the stars of the heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For He has prepared a city for them. This is the word of the Lord we're going to be focusing on this morning. You may be seated. I'm not alone in uh, saying that my family's been through a lot this week, and many of your families have been through a lot this week, and uh, many of us are just tired. You join me in that? I'm just tired, yeah um, Thank you, James, uh, for adding that first song to the set as well with my soul. Uh, Joel, really appreciate you being flexible with that. I just felt that we needed to sing that as a church this morning that uh, <laughs> it. <laughs> It doesn't matter what we're going through or what's happened this last week. Um, no matter what, it's well with our souls. and um, Knowing that we are secure in Christ. He is, he is the everything that secures our life with God both in time and in eternity. And there's nothing that's going to disrupt that. And so we can say... Uh, when it's all going easy and when life seems to be throwing tumultuous waves our way, no matter what, because we're in Christ, we can say it's well. It's well. So, in light of that, would you pray with me this morning and ask for God's blessing on our time, Father? We uh, we do feel tired and. Some of us do. Lord, I'm so thankful that there are others among us who are not. And um, others among us who are so clearly filled with joy and a sense of your nearness with them, Lord, that that encourages us to know that that you're still with us, Lord. And through them, you're ministering to the needy, downcast, the weary, Lord, I I love the wisdom that's manifested in the way that you've put your body together, and uh, even as it's manifested here in Oak Ridge Community Church, I thank you, Lord, that you provide all that we need from your word, by your spirit, and through the ministry of one another, you provide all that we need to live a life that is worthy of the calling we've received in Christ. So Lord, I pray that this morning you would equip us, you would minister to us both from your word and singing and prayer and through the ministry of one another, Lord, that you would minister to our souls the grace of Christ. Strengthen us, Lord, to walk in holiness. Strengthen us to walk in godly fear, Lord, to to live by faith. Believing in your promises, and more than that, believing that you are faithful and you will keep your promises. Lord, unfold that mystery for us this morning. I don't trust in myself to be a blessing to your people, but I do trust in you to bless them with your word. And so I ask that you would do that this morning, Lord, not for our sake, but for the sake of your beloved Son. For the glory of Jesus Christ, let your word come with power upon our hearts, Lord, and renew our minds this morning so that we might offer to you a living and holy sacrifice with all of our lives. Lord, minister to those who are not with us, those who are at home for various reasons, Lord, minister to those who have lost loved ones. In all things, Lord, give us a a holy sense of your sufficiency. That no matter what, you are enough for us. Lord Jesus, nourish us this morning. Be with us, we pray, in your name and for your sake. Amen. 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 Yeah. One of the English-speaking world's favorite hymns is John Newton's hymn "Amazing Grace." And uh, I thought about taking a poll this morning. I'm not going to do it, but I think "Amazing Grace" ranks up there among our favorite hymns, Um, and rightly so because there are so few hymns that, uh, excuse me, there are few hymns that so fully capture the movements of God's grace that come over the course of a believer's life the way that Amazing Grace does. However, not many people are aware that originally that hymn was not titled Amazing Grace, and I found this fascinating this week. Originally, when Newton penned those words, he titled that hymn, Faith's Review and Expectation. Faith's Review and Expectation. Now granted, Amazing Grace definitely flows more easily, right? But I think changing the title changes the focus in our hearts when we're actually singing that song. If I had asked you before, what is amazing grace really all about? I don't know how many of you would have answered, well, it's about faith's review and faith's expectation. I think what you would have said is it's about how amazing the grace of God is, right? Now, I think it's insightful to to note that because what that shows us is that even though this song does exalt the beauty and the hope of God's grace at work in the believer's life, Newton's focus was not primarily on God's grace, but on the faith that enabled him to see just how amazing God's grace is. It's faith's review as he looks back on the way that God's grace has worked in his life. It's faith's expectation as he looks forward to what he is looking forward to because of Jesus Christ. It was faith that enabled him to both comprehend and hope in those realities. So you can pick this up just in verse 1. You know, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was what? Lost. Lost. But now I'm. I was. But now I. Yeah. Isn't that the essence of what we were talking about last week in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. It's not merely a decision that we made to jump out of the line, go into hell, and get into the line, go into heaven. It's not merely a choice deciding that we're going to choose this religion over all the other religious options in the world. Faith is actually, in its essence, an awakening in the soul of a person. It is an enlightenment of the Holy Spirit causing us to see things that otherwise we would not be able to see. Just like Newton, we would be lost if God did not illumine our path and show us the way to be found. We would be blind in our sin if God didn't awaken us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. You know that, right? Amen? Amen. Just like Newton, we, we, we confess too that I was blind once, but by the grace of God giving me faith, I now see. I love that because what Newton is picking up on there is the confession of the blind man in John 9. You guys remember that? Jesus heals this blind man and the Pharisees are questioning him saying, how did this happen? And, and there's no way Jesus could have done this. And the man says, well, listen, I don't, whatever you think about Jesus, here's, here's what I do know about what he did. I once was blind, but, but now I see. Right? Right? Newton says, that's exactly what happened to me when the grace of God saved me. He gave me faith so that I could see. Now that is in line, as I just mentioned, with what we saw last week. Faith is a gift of God's grace that in essence takes the substance of the things we are hoping for in Christ. That is, it takes... The promise of forgiveness, it takes the guarantee of cleansing, it takes the hope of righteousness being granted to us and imputed to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, it takes the hope of eternal glory with God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, it takes His intercessory power and applies all of those great things that we are hoping for to our lives right now in the present. So that even though we're not seeing the full realities of those promises, the things we're hoping for, there is still something of the substance that we are experiencing right now in the present. That's what faith is. It is, as it goes on to say, faith is the blessing of the Holy Spirit ministering the evidence of the things we don't yet see, taking evidence of those things and ministering them to our hearts so that we now see the things we're hoping for as though they were real and present right now, even though we're still waiting for them. That is the essence of faith. It's not a mere decision. It is a supernatural regenerative awakening to things that... God has promised to those who hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I get excited about that. Right? I get excited about that for a number of reasons. One because I know that's happened in my life. You know, I was awakened by God to see things in Jesus Christ. I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing the gospel, but I never saw the glory of the gospel. I grew up hearing about Jesus, this man who died on the cross for my sins. I knew that it was for sin that he died. I knew that he had risen from the dead. I knew that he had ascended into heaven. I knew that he was coming back one day to reign and to usher in a new heaven and a new earth. And it will be a place where righteousness dwells. I knew all of that, but I didn't actually see it until the Lord God gave me faith to see it. So, with Newton, we can say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's what Hebrews 11.1 is really getting at. What is faith? Faith is this awakening that causes us to see things that are real, yet unseen and still future. Now, the question that that leads to, though, is the calling at the end of Hebrews 10, if you remember, is to endure in doing the will of God so that we would receive what's promised. And what did, how did we define the will of God? How does the end of Hebrews 10 define what God's will is? You remember that? Somebody call it out. Anybody? Man. No, not your saying. So my righteous one shall live by faith. We are to endure, it says here. Look, just if, if you don't have a Bible right now, take one out of the back of the pew, open it up, and look in the scriptures with me. Look with me at Hebrews 10. just run through this briefly so that we can set the stage for what we're going to look at today. We better do this quick, huh? Verse 34, it says, Of these people you showed sympathy, these believers, you showed sympathy to prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So here we're talking about a reward that God is promising to give to those who have confidence, those who have faith. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So there's a promise that God has made to us. And if we do the will of God, we will receive what he has promised. That's what that text says, right? If you disagree with me, don't tell me now. Wait till after service. We can talk about it. God has made a promise, and He has promised to fulfill that promise to those who do His will. But how do we understand what it means to do God's will? That's where verses 37 and 38 come in. So when we've done the will of God, we may receive what is promised. For yet, in a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. So what is God's will for us? What is this will that we are to endure in doing? What are we supposed to fulfill as we live this life for the glory of God? We are to fulfill a life of faith. A life that is holding on to the Lord God in faith. Now, I didn't pick this up. Verse 37, yet in a little while the coming one will come. Who's that talking about? That's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And when he comes, what's he going to bring with him? the fullness of everything God has promised and guaranteed and secured for us in Him. It's all coming one day. All of it. The world will be made new. The sky will be rolled back as a scroll. Jesus Christ will split that sky and He will come to deliver His people and judge the world in righteousness. All the fullness is going to come one day. And even now it says, it describes Jesus as... He who is coming. It's not He who will come, but the One who even now at this moment is preparing to come. I want to go on in that verse. We don't have time to do that, but just see what it's saying. It's saying that there is a day coming when Jesus is going to usher in all the things that the Father has promised us, and who are those who are going to be there at the end to receive the fullness of those promises? It's those who do the will of God. And what is that will? It's living a life of faith. So, as we're waiting on these things that we're hoping for, as we're waiting on these things that we do not yet see, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be living a life of faith. Now, that sets the stage for what we want to talk about today. I know that was a long introduction. But what that leads to is the question what does it look like to live a life of faith? We hear the call. We are to live a life of faith for the glory of God. We see how faith is defined in verse 1. But what does it actually look like tangibly to live a life that is expressing true faith in God? Well, that's where the rest of Hebrews chapter 11 is coming in. So in verse 1, we have the definition of faith. Verse 2, we have the importance of that reality being made known to us. And then from verse 3 on through the rest of the chapter, what you have is one example after another explaining to us what a life of faith actually looks like. And it's not speculative. It's not guesswork that we see in Hebrews 11. It is the writer of Hebrews actually pointing back to the Scriptures and the accounts of believers who have gone before us and saying, this is what it looks like to live a life of faith. These people lived a life of faith and they obtained the testimony from God that they were righteous. They received the reward that God had promised them. This is what it looks like to emulate them. This is what it looks like to follow in their footsteps. So that's The essence of what we're getting at here in the rest of Hebrews chapter 11. So today what I want to do, I want to look at two things from Hebrews 11. We'll see if we get to the second. But first of all, we're going to look at some of the examples of what it looks like to live by faith. Some of the examples listed here. And then secondly, we're going to look at the reward of living by faith. So examples of living by faith, the reward of living by faith. First of all, look with me in verse 3. What does it mean to live a life of faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews starts in verse 3 by telling us that living by faith begins with having a right understanding of reality. Living a life of faith begins by having a right understanding of reality. Verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now this is probably the most fundamental part of what it means to live a life of faith. Now, I'm not saying that the gospel is excluded here, that the, the actual work of Jesus Christ is, is not involved. That's not what I mean by saying this is the most fundamental part of what it means to live by faith. All of that is being assumed. We are hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are believing in his death, burial, resurrection for us. We are, we are currently, even right now, confident in his ascension and his second coming. We are waiting eagerly for it. All of that is being assumed here. But foundationally, what we're talking about when we're we're dealing with actually living out that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in our day-to-day, moment-to-moment lives, we are talking about the reality that's being highlighted here in verse 3. That fundamentally, living a life of faith means that you have been awakened to the fact that there is only one ultimate reality in the entire universe, and that is God. And there is nothing that can rival him. Ultimate reality is not defined by me. And ultimate reality is not defined by my life. Ultimate reality is not defined by my job. It's not defined by my boss. It's not defined by the government. As much as our government would like to define all of reality for us, the government does not define what is real and what is not real. My own suffering in life does not define reality. Illness in my life does not tell me what is real and what is not real. Pain and persecution and opposition that we face in this world does not define the reality that we live in, even if we're experiencing it. Worldly accolades. Worldly wisdom and the approval and acceptance of other people is not definitional of reality. We live in a world that was created by God. As it says here, it was ordered, it was created by the Word of God. That means every aspect of it was spoken forth from the mouth of God according to His intention. Okay? So it's God's creation. It is upheld by God. And we live in a world that is defined by God. Now, practically, why is that important? Well, for a few reasons. One, it means that we don't define reality for ourselves, and nothing in this world defines ultimate reality for us. We live in God's reality. He is the one who made it, and He is the one who defines it. Now, that means, practically, that means that our understanding... What is real in this world and what is not real is not limited to our finite, fallen, human, imperfect perspective. Why is that important for living a life of faith? Don't you know why that's important when you feel trial and pain and loss and suffering and difficulty and failure? and You're wrestling with your sin. You're dealing with the doubts of the world and the opposition of the world and the challenges that that brings. Don't you understand how important it is in those moments when you are being challenged in your faith to stand firm and you are finding it difficult to do so. Don't you find it important and even comforting to remember that ultimate reality is not defined by anything that I'm experiencing right now or by anything that the world is expecting of me. Ultimate reality is defined by God. And therefore, I should be living my life in light of that ultimate reality and not anything lesser. You follow me there for the most part? Our standard by which we measure what is real and not real, what is important and not important, is never anything that is derived from this creation. It is derived by God or from God and his word. Now, that's one reason Because it is God's world, it defines ultimate reality for us. Secondly, understanding, having this right perspective of reality is important because it shows us that God is sovereign over all and all are accountable to Him. Jesus said in John 16, verse 8, that one of the first realities that the Holy Spirit awakens our hearts to is the fact that God is our creator and one day we will have to stand before our creator for judgment. That's what it says here. When he comes, Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts, one of the first things that He does is He awakens us to the reality that judgment is coming and we will have to give an account to our God. As it says in Hebrews 4.13, there are no creatures that are hidden from His sight, but all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. In other words, the day is coming when all the facade will be removed, not only from this world, but from our lives. All the masks will be ripped off one day. And we will be left totally exposed and utterly defenseless in the presence of our Creator if we are not hidden within our Defender, who is the Lord Jesus. Now being gripped by that reality is one of the first evidences that indicates that we truly have come to possess saving faith if you are actually gripped by the reality that God is sovereign and you are not and nothing else is, that is going to empower you to live a life of faith when there are other competing lesser sovereigns vying for your allegiance. God is ultimate, guys. It is His world. He spoke it according to His design and for His purpose. It's His world in which we live. And that determines how we are to live and function in His world. We are His creatures. And we exist under His sovereign rule. And one day we will be accountable to Him. Should that not inform the decisions that we make every day, moment to moment? Jesus says the judgment of God will be so exact it will come down to our very thoughts and intentions and words. Gives us some pretty good encouragement to live a life that is keeping God's will. Well, this, in, this reality, understanding this reality by faith is also important for a third reason. Knowing that God created the world and that ultimately we live in his reality is important because it means that no matter what it costs, there is only one reality that is worth living for, and that is God and the kingdom of God. And everything else one day will pass away. Hebrews 12, 27 tells us that the day is coming when all things in God's creation are going to be shaken. That's a a shaking that is destructive. You understand that? It is God speaking to the foundations that the world is resting upon in order to cause those foundations to crumble and show them how empty and vapid they really are. There's a day coming. Right now, the Lord is biding sinners in His patience, but that patience is going to run out. And the day is going to come when the world and what it actually is will be laid bare for all to see. And the only one who will be exalted in that day is God Almighty. Right? Amen. Amen? Now, if you believe in that, and you truly understand that there is nothing in this world that's ever going to be lasting if it is not built upon the foundation of God and God alone, how will that impact the way you live your life? Will it not cause you to call or to count the cost of following Jesus as being worthy of that cost? It says in verse 28, so that that day when God comes to speak and shake all things in this world, it is unto this end, so that the things which cannot be shaken will remain. There's a great day of humbling that's coming upon the world, guys. The pride is, is, is manifest now. It's being walked in now, but it's not going to be like that forever. And if we're going to live lives of faith, we need to be living our lives in light of the things that will not be shaken on that final day. We need to be living our lives in light of God's reign and God's rule. We need to be living our lives in light of the one who sits upon the throne of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be living our lives in light of the Holy Spirit's work in enlightening us to see what is true and what is real and what's coming, even in a context in which we find it difficult to see it. The day's coming when the facade will be torn away, the mask will be ripped off, and the kingdom which cannot be shaken will be made known to all." And so living a life of faith means that we've come to understand that nothing in this world is eternal. And therefore, nothing that happens to us in this world is eternal. God is ultimate, God is eternal, and with Him we can endure through anything. So faith begins with this fundamental shift in our understanding of reality that takes our focus from the things that are temporal And thrust our attention upon the things that are eternal. Now that's one example of what it means to live a life of faith. We have a few more. In verse 4 we have the example of Abel. And the main point of what verse 4 is saying about Abel. Is that faith enables us to offer acceptable worship to God. So faith not only enables us to understand reality in God's world, but it also enables us to offer acceptable worship to God. You see in verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now this verse answers that age-old question, why was Abel's sacrifice acceptable to God and Cain's wasn't? Any of you ever tried to answer that question or heard someone answer that question? What's the most common answer people give to why God accepted Abel's sacrifice and did not accept Cain's? The blood. That's right. That is the most common answer as to why Abel's was accepted and Cain's wasn't. But you know, that's not what this verse says. It wasn't because Abel brought a blood sacrifice to God and Cain didn't. That's not why Abel was acceptable to God and Cain wasn't. What made Abel's expression of worship acceptable to God and Cain's not acceptable to God was the motivation behind bringing those offerings. It was, it was that Cain did not have faith when he brought his offering to God, but Abel did have faith. And by that faith, he offered worship that was acceptable. Hebrews 11.4 tells us, Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God because it was an exercise of faith. It wasn't accepted because it was perfect worship, but it was acceptable to God because it rose from a heartfelt conviction of the reality of God his creator and the worthiness of God to receive the best that he had to give. That's why Abel's sacrifice was acceptable. In other words, his sacrifice was of worship was simply the outward expression of a heart that had come to love and trust in God. Therefore, it says that he obtained a testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gift, it says. Cain didn't have that kind of faith. In fact, if you read the account, it seems more like Cain just kind of threw something together to offer up to the Lord. It was was almost as if his worship unto God was an afterthought. It was just the leftovers that he was bringing to the Lord. That's not an expression of true faith. When you've been awakened by God to sense His glory and His worthiness and His majesty and the love of God that He's shown us in Christ, when you have been awakened to see those things, you're not left giving God your leftovers. You don't ever think that it's adequate just to give God whatever you can give after you've spent yourself on the things of the world. No, faith causes you to give God your best to say, Lord, you are worthy of everything I have to give, and I want to give it. That's the kind of worship that is acceptable to God, not these half-hearted leftovers. Now, if... okay. We can say amen to that, but if you and I are honest with ourselves, we know that very often we come into this room and we give God half-hearted leftovers for our worship, do we not? It's not right, guys. That's not the kind of worship that God delights in. God does not delight in you simply being here in a pew. You understand that? He doesn't delight in us simply singing songs no matter what kind of songs they are. And I'll I'll go further. He doesn't just delight in us seeking to do the things that are good and right, that we know to be right. No, God's not after exactly what we're doing in the... He's not primarily looking at our actions of our hands. He's looking at the motivation that's underneath those actions, right? Is our motivation pure in doing these things? Have we been awakened to see the reality of God so much so that we are now giving all of our lives as a genuine expression of worship unto Him? That's how we live a life by faith. It's like what it says in in Psalm sixty three three. It says, By faith we've come to understand the truth that the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. That is, the steadfast love of the Lord is more beautiful and more satisfying and more delightful than anything else we could enjoy in this world. And therefore, we, as those who have been awakened to that reality, are left ready to give up anything in the world in order to have it. His steadfast love is better than anything. And I'm going to give up anything I have to in order to chase it down. That's that's the expression of faith. Well, I have to keep moving. Faith is not only what enables us to understand reality, to think about the world properly, and it not only enables us to offer God the kind of worship that He is pleased in, but faith is also the means by which we live a life of genuine fellowship with God. You see this in verses 5 through 6, where The writer of Hebrews is talking about Enoch. It says in verse 5 that by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now, as I said, faith here, the, the main point that's being communicated is that it was by faith that Enoch was enabled to walk with God day-to-day, moment-by-moment. Moment. In fact, it says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, that in the last 300 years of Enoch's life, uh, basically they're characterized by four simple words. Enoch walked with God. His faith, in other words, in the unseen reality of God, was revealed in a life that sought daily to commune with God. Let me say that again. It was by faith that Enoch walked with God. In other words, faith is what enabled Enoch to walk and live every day in communion with God. Are you following me here? Enoch walked with God That's not just speaking about a a one time event, and that's not just calling, or that's not just saying that Enoch walked in the ways of God, but rather he spent his life walking in an experience of the grace of communion and fellowship with God. And this text tells us that the way that he did that, the way that he knew his God on a day to day level, was through faith, by using faith. So his faith in the reality of God and in the truthfulness of God and in the nearness of God reached down to every moment of his day-to-day life. And that kind of life, that's, that life that's filled with faith and focused on God was so pleasing to our Lord, what was the reward that Enoch received? In seeking to live this life of faith in God, this communion with him, God gave him the reward that he was seeking after. He just took him home where that communion would never end. Now, I, I, sometimes we can hear these accounts of people and we can think of it in kind of a theoretical, speculative manner. But what you need to remember is that Enoch is a person just like you and me. And he was living in a post-fall world just like you and I are living. You know, the main characteristic that that. that the main difference in the experience of Adam and Eve pre-fall and post-fall. Do you know what that main difference was? Pre-fall, they walked in fellowship and communion with God in the cool of the day. Remember that language? Post-fall, they were driven out of God's presence. No longer to, to enjoy that same fellowship with the Lord. I think what we need to remember is that Enoch was not walking necessarily with a physical manifestation of God walking right next to him all his life. He was walking by faith. He was walking in light of a reality of God that he could not see with his physical eyes, but, but one which he had been awakened to see by the Spirit of God. He was walking with God by faith. I wonder... If we have been awakened to the reality of God's presence the way that Enoch was. Do we know Him? Do we know God to be the ultimate reality in this world? And then do we act in faith upon that truth seeking after Him all the more? That's what verse 6 in Hebrews 11 tells us is the only kind of life that is pleasing to the Lord. That is why Enoch's life was pleasing to God. It's because he believed that God existed and that he was a rewarder of those who seek him. I think it's important to keep in mind that what Enoch was doing when he was seeking after communion with God every day is that he was declaring all the other pursuits of his daily life to be unworthy of his attention and his focus. He had set his heart and his mind on things above where God was, and he was seeking to have it in its fullness. And so God gave him the reward he longed for. He ushered him into the eternal day where that fellowship with God that he craved and sought after would never end and never be broken. He did so by faith. Now, our homegoing... To be with the Lord may not be so pleasurable as Enoch's was. We may not be translated out of this world into the eternal day as he was. I remember what Pastor Jim used to say about dying. He said, I'm not afraid to die, but I'm not looking forward to the process. right. Our home-going may not be as pleasurable as Enoch's, but the kind of life that God has called believers to live as we wait for Christ to come is not any different than the kind of life Enoch lived thousands of years ago. A life of true faith that seeks and pursues and chases down a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment communion with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think I'm just drawing an unnecessary connection there between Enoch and ourselves, pay attention to Galatians 5.25, where it calls those who have been made alive by the Spirit to walk by the Spirit. That is to keep in step with the Spirit. I think we're going we're to cut it right here at Enoch, and we'll come back to faith manifested in Noah and Abraham and Sarah. and and the essence of it and the reward later. But I just want you to understand that this kind of life that God is calling us to live that's pleasing to Him is not something that's impossible. Having this kind of communion and this kind of fellowship with God that Enoch had, this day-to-day walk with the Lord, it's not something that is out of your reach. I know some of you are thinking to yourselves, what in the world does that even mean? What do you mean when you're talking about walking with God? What does it mean that Enoch walked with God? And then you're going to tell me that that's what I'm supposed to do by faith? I'm supposed to walk with God the way Enoch walked with God? Yes, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Now, in this life, we're not going to experience that in its fullness. But we will experience it in measure. And as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. You are not yet reaching the fullness of what God intends for you in your life, in your relationship with Him. Your sense of the glory of Jesus Christ needs to be increasing as time goes on, not decreasing or remaining the same. Your sense of love and attraction to the Lord Jesus Christ and that holy consecration of all of your life as one that is an expression of worship to be lived for Him. That should be something that is continually increasing as life goes on. Now so often, we settle for the lesser. And we think we're good. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not even what I used to be. Well, man, praise God for that. But that's not where God wants you to be. You have not yet arrived. You don't don't yet know the fullness of fellowship with God that God intends for you to have, not just in glory, but here in time. We have the example of Enoch in Scripture to encourage our hearts in the reality that it is possible for you and me to walk in this kind of fellowship with God. And how are we going to do that? Well, the same way Enoch did it. We're going to do that by faith. And as we walk in a life of faith, and this awakened sense of realities that are not yet seen, as we live that out in our day-to-day lives, we will find ourselves walking with God. I think that if we think, if we view the Christian life as anything below that, what we are really doing is, is diminishing or downplaying the redemptive work that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. There is no one who lived in this world with a sense of the presence of Almighty God the way that Jesus did. What it tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 is that Jesus did that not just for himself, but he did that for us. Jesus came as a man so that he might bring other sons and daughters with him to glory that glory begins to be known and experienced by us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So this kind of fellowship with God is possible because Jesus became a man like us and brought that fellowship down to us. Jesus died for our sins so that all the hindrances of our fellowship with God would be dealt with. There's nothing left... There's nothing that remains except to believe in the realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to fix our eyes on Jesus, and to pursue a deeper walk with the Lord. Uh, I didn't want to end there, but we're going to end there. And um, I guess as just in closing, I, I hope that, that you will take what we've looked at here home with you when you leave this building and begin to wrestle with these realities of the true nature of saving faith. What does it mean to live a life of faith unto God? It means that you live your life in the light of a reality where God is ultimate and man is not. It means that you live your life as an expression of consecrated worship unto the Lord out of a heart that loves God and seeks to draw near to Him and give Him your best. It means that you live your life in effort to seek the face of God and have communion with him. That is the kind of life of faith that God wants us to live, and that's the kind of life that he will bless. So may the Lord give us grace to seek that out in the coming week. Would you pray with me? Father, you know your intentions and your purposes for us, and uh, I thank you for the richness of your word. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us to see it, enlighten the eyes of our hearts so we might know more fully what is the grace that you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please bless us this week as we seek your face, as we seek to live lives that are are, uh, lives of faith. Lord, please enable us to do that for the glory of your name. Help us live in these realities that you have awakened us to and help us, Lord, not fear the world, not fear what the world can do, not grow weary in doing good, but rather, Lord, to be faithful and diligent in doing good, knowing that by your promise and by the finished work of Christ, one day we will reap the reward. Father, as we we sing this closing hymn, Let our hearts offer this hymn up to you as consecrated worship, as a prayer and a plea. Lord, hear our prayer and answer for the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, as we close now the service, hear the benediction from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. May the Lord give us grace to live lives of faith and patience for his glory. Amen. Amen.